We have been in a series about power in your mouth, about life and death coming from your tongue. And I said a little bit ago where you have opportunity, you also have responsibility. Did you know that you're responsible for what comes out of your mouth? And the Lord would have you be in situations that you can speak change to it. He would have you be in locations that you can speak light to the situation. So don't be surprised when you find yourself in difficult places. Someone's got to be there and has to win the, win the fight. And that's what we're going to learn this morning is how to win any fight. Have you ever been in a fight? <laughs> Some of you say yes meaning one thing. Some say yes meaning another. Yes to multiple. How to win any fight. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. So, uh, <clears throat> turn with me to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to just review very quickly and very simply. You know, in James we've read and how that the tongue is... It compares the tongue to a steering wheel of like a, sh- a rudder of a ship or a bit in a horse's mouth, and we could say the steering wheel of a horse, all right, or the steering wheel of a ship. It compares the tongue to that. I know you don't think of horses as having steering wheels, right? But um, that's what the reins do. And by what's in their mouth, you can control the entire animal or the whole ship in spite of huge winds. You can control the ship and steer the ship. And So your tongue is the steering wheel of your life. Did you know that? Your tongue is the steering wheel of your life. Why don't we just say that? Say, my tongue is the steering wheel of my life. We read in Proverbs 18 how that life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it. One translation says, those to whom it is dear will have its fruit for their food. Those to whom it is dear. So do you love it? Another translation says it this way, those who love to talk will eat what it produces. So, what is your tongue producing? Are you hungry? If you are hungry, begin to produce with your mouth. In Mark 11, we know and we recognize that Proverbs 18 is a statement of fact, a statement of truth, that power and death, the power of life and death is in your mouth. And Jesus goes even farther than this, and he says in, in Mark 11, and this has really been where we're, we're using and looking at, is what Jesus said, his promise in Mark 11, verse 22. Jesus is answering a question that Peter had about the cursed fig tree, and he says, have faith in God, or have the faith of God, because that's where faith comes from. He says, I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, he will have whatever he says. This is one of the most outlandish statements in the Bible. (laughs) It just defies everything about nature. That you could speak something and it would happen. And we know that when Jesus taught in extremes, 
that he would use illustrations of extremes. And is it also not fascinating that your words can move a mountain that was created by words? Begins to make sense, doesn't it? So let's, let's look at this again. If anyone says, he didn't say if just a select few. He didn't say if you the disciples. He didn't say if Elijah says or if King David says. He says anyone and are you and anyone this morning. If anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up. So you're speaking to the problem. Be lifted up, thrown into the sea. And now there's something else that comes and does not doubt in his heart. So let's say it a different way. Out of faith is where you're going to speak from. Because you believe is why you speak. In in 2 Corinthians, maybe put this up on the board. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13. If you have it in the Holman, or actually I don't think the translation is going to matter. 2 Corinthians 4 13. And Paul is quoting Scripture and he says that just as it was written, and he quotes, I believed, therefore have I spoken. He says we also believe and therefore speak. Because we believe we speak is what he's saying. Just like what was written beforehand, what came before us. Well, you know, we have a lot of things that were written beforehand that came before that we can use as an example. And just like they believed and spoke, Paul is saying we believe. And because of that, we speak. So what do you believe this morning? And are you speaking what you believe? I don't know. This whole coronavirus thing probably going to kill us all. Well, if that's what you believe, you can have it. But speak for yourself, not me. Right? The coronavirus isn't going to harm me. It's not going to harm my family. And it's not going to harm anyone at Church of the Word International. So this is a corona, a corona-free zone. A coronavirus-free zone. And Lyme's disease. And cancer. And diabetes. And tumors. And the influenza. Man, if you want to be free from that stuff, stay in this zone in here. And you just stay away from that stuff. Why? Because I said so. I mean, if you want to have it, go on out there and get it. But if you want to be free from it, come in here and you're going to be free from it. Because the Spirit of the Lord, where He is, there is freedom. Right? Yeah, that's right. We just break off things. And when Shane let loose and yelled there, there was things that broke off of him. There was a victory that was won right there. He made me jump about two inches. but <laughs> It scared the other things out too, so it was good. Yeah, yeah. You have to turn it on, it's probably off Uh, press and hold there you go okay so uh just real quick behind that um i don't want to give all the details because you know there's still some things that nicole and i are working through um but satan has been holding me captive on a few things um just as like my identity as a father as a husband as who i think i am in the light of you guys i mean i'm gonna be real bold here and no hold back so if anybody gets offended i'm sorry (laughs) but not sorry um 
I know I have a, I know I have a voice here. I know that there's people that look upon me because people tell me. And I know that you know, there's a certain persona about me because I have a voice that there's pride there. Sometimes when I come into church, you know, I like, how do I look when I'm worshiping, blah, blah, blah. And this morning I was in worship and I just was not in that place where I wanted to worship. And I was like, uh, but I have to worship because that's, that's what Shane does when he comes in. That's who people see me as. And I know that I've led people you know, certain ways by the way that I shout, because I've heard how they respond to that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I, no, I don't want to do that this morning. And then <laughs> the song came on about a sacrifice of praise. And I was like, okay, God, what does that even look like? And I was just in this rut, whatever. And then Nicole grabbed my hand and she started like trying to get me to come on, get out of this funk. And I was like, no, I want to stay here because it's comfortable. <laughs> and, and then I remembered what Pastor Sid said about boldly coming to the throne room and asking for what's ours. And I got real angry. I got so filled with this. The only word I can think of is pride, but in a godly way. Like, God, you said in your word you would meet me here. You said it. So why are you not here? What's going on? Why am I going through this? Why am I getting beaten down by Satan? Why am I here right now? You said you'd meet me, so come right now. I'm not waiting till tomorrow. I'm not waiting till next week. Right now, meet me. Meet me. And you know what happened? The result right there was because I was bold enough, and it's not about me. Every single one of us has that in them. So why am I not hearing more people have that? That's the question I want to leave you guys with. Thank you. Oh, I guess that's mine to put back. There you go. Let the redeemed of the Lord think so. No, say so. Yeah, you got to say it. Sometimes you got to shout it. There's many times if you'd be riding with me in the car, I'd scare you like Shane scared me this morning. Right? So Jesus expects that we can speak out of our belief and that what we say we can have. What we say we can have. Let's say that. Say, I, I can have... What I say. We also looked in uh, about being judged and justified by our words. And that there's three different types of words. There's empty words. There's life words. There's death words. And Jesus said that we're going to be justified or condemned by our words. We are acquitted or condemned by words. Our words, and that there's a day of judgment coming that you can find that in Matthew chapter 12. And then we looked last week at having a submitted tongue. And what does it look like to have a submitted tongue? And that's when we're speaking what God says rather than speaking all the other things. Submitted to the Lord and His will. Psalms 12 verse 4 says, They say He's talking about the heathen, all right? It's talking about the ungodly, about the wicked, about the rebellious. They say through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? 
That's the ungodly recognizing the power they have in their tongue. And certainly, the ungodly, the heathen, and those pretending to be godly do carry a power in their mouth. However, the power you carry in your mouth as a believer completely trumps what they carry in their mouth. Especially when it pertains to you and what's in your authority. And so, turn with me. We're going to just go into this how to win any fight. 1 Timothy, let's start with a good fighting verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. You know, Romans 8 tells us that how we get into the kingdom of God is by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what, how we get into the kingdom of God. So it should come as no shock to us that the way we got into the kingdom is also the way we're going to operate within the kingdom. That what gained us entry to the kingdom is also the mode of operandum in the kingdom. This is how it works and how, how we, we operate. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 says, fight. Everyone say, fight. Fight the good fight. Does that mean that it's going to take effort on your part? That means there's going to be something required from you. That it's going to, you're going to have to put, expel energy. You're going to have to be deliberate about it. You're going to have to think it through. You're going to have to fight. In any good fight, you know what happens in any good fight? You get tired. You start to breathe hard. You get worn out. And if you want to know physically how unfit you are, get into a fight with someone. And I promise you, in 60 seconds, you're going to be like, how is it possible to be this worn out already? (laughs) Fight the good fight. It's a good fight. What are we fighting for? For the faith. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight of belief. So, Because we believe, we fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Man, we're talking about more deliberate effort on our part. It doesn't just happen. But you have to fight for it. You take hold of eternal life to which you were called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. You've already confessed the good confession. You've already confessed what it takes to enter into the kingdom. Now fight. Continue to stand on that confession. Fight. Don't let up. Take a hold of it. Keep a life grip on it. Not death grip. We don't do that here. We give life grip. Right? Keep a hold of it. Take a hold of it. Be deliberate in arraying yourself for battle. You've already confessed the good words. So, so keep, keep at it. Here's the three steps how to win any fight. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Those three things. Believe it. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing the Word. So you have to be equipped. You've got to allow the Word to get in you to build faith within you because... Faith comes from the Word, the Logos. 
The Spirit of Christ living on the inside of you is where faith comes from. It doesn't come because you have a Bible verse memorized, family. It comes because the Spirit of the living Lord is on the inside of you. And when you put the Bible verse in there, that Word comes alive. The Spirit of Christ rises up within you. That is faith. A completely convinced, unshakable faith on the inside of you because He's overcome the world. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And if you'll just build that up within you, suddenly you'll find your faith completely rising up. So believe it, say it, take action. Let's read the next verse here. Verse 13 says, um, In the presence of God who gives life to all before Christ Jesus, what's it going to say about Jesus? Who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. See, this is how Jesus fought. He believed and He spoke. He gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. And if you'll go back to John 18, I think it is, John chapter 18, you'll find in that account the confession that He gave before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate had asked Him, are you a king? And He acknowledged, yep, you've said so. Yep, you've said it. I'm a king. And my kingdom is not of this world. He said, I am the Messiah, the King. And I was born for this purpose to testify to the truth. To speak the truth. This was Jesus' confession before Pilate. And so he's using this. The confession, the words that he gave, that was how he he stood and fought. And then we know he put action to it, right? He didn't quit. He stayed true to the confession. And still remains an intercessor for you and I. What did we read a little bit ago? What Paul said? He said, we believe, therefore we speak like Christ. We believe, therefore we speak. We're going to have to speak. You have to believe and then you speak. This is half of what it takes to win, to be an overcomer. To believe and speak. But Let's go to to, uh, Revelations chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 11. Now this is a verse that probably most of you could quote. You know, it's a favorite for us often and and we use it. And sometimes we use it without really looking at the context. And uh, I invite you to do that. You can read the the whole chapter and and get it in in context of how it happened. Um, But the verse 11 says, They conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. The Good News Bible says it this way, they won the victory over Him by the blood of the Lamb. See, Jesus has established the victory. However, the the, the victory that Jesus established for you is not going to do you any good if you won't believe it, if you won't say it, and if you won't fight from it. I didn't say fight for it, fight from the victory He's established for you. He's already established it, now you have to see to it that it's true for you. That you lay hold of eternal life. That you take hold of it. So they won the victory over Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the truth which they proclaimed. How did they do it? Well, by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And, and, there's an and there. And by the words that came out of their mouth. It's how they 
conquered the enemy. So your words are going to bring you victory. Proverbs 12, you know, the last part of of verse 6 says, the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The mouth of the upright will deliver them. The Holman says the speech of the upright rescues them. The speech of the upright. Well, how do you know if you have upright speech? There's a pretty sure-fired way of knowing. Say what he says. Say what he says. And then your speech can rescue you. So let's look this morning at some examples of winning. When, when uh, President, well then he was not President, Donald Trump was running for the presidency in 2016, he made a claim and he said that if I become President, we're going to win so much you'll get tired of winning. I don't know if I'll ever get tired of winning, but it's good to win, especially in, on the spiritual front. Because see, there's where our victories come from, right? Is is. It's established on that spiritual plane, the unseen realm. And we bring it as, as, is hev- as in heaven, so on earth. Right? He told the disciples, pray this way, that the will of the Lord would be accomplished as it is in heaven, so it would be done on earth as well. So we reach into the unseen realm and lay hold of eternal life and bring it into the seen realm. And what is the vehicle that brings it from there to here? Your faith coupled with your words and then corresponding action with that. So you believe it, you say it, you do it. In James it says that, you know, um, faith without works is dead. Part of the reason that in the word of faith camp that we're in, that we haven't seen some of the things that we're expecting to see is because we've said things but not put action to it. We proclaim things but don't put action to it. I mean, here's the most basic of illustrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we claim that uh, victory and, and our, our country is going to walk uprightly and then don't go vote. Come on. That's exactly what that is. That's deceiving yourself and that's not actually doing what you have the ability to do. If you're going to believe it and say it, now you've got to put action to it. If you prayed for rain before you went out on a walk, you better carry an umbrella. Unless you want to get wet, and that's fine too. Some people like to walk in the rain. So let's look at a... Some case studies here. Second Kings. Second Kings. Let's go to Second Kings and chapter four. Now, in the New Testament, we've already looked at some examples, like the woman who had the issue of blood. She kept saying to herself, "If I can just reach the Master, if I can just touch Him, I'll be healed." And that's what she kept saying to herself, and that's what happened for her. She believed, therefore she spoke. Well, in Second Kings chapter four is the story of Elijah and how that. Uh, I'm sorry, Elisha, and how that um, he had been traveling through this one region and this wealthy uh, woman saw him constantly going through this area. So she goes and talks to her husband, the Shumanite woman. She says, let's put an extension on the house. 
Let's build a room for him. Let's make it nice. Let's give him a place to stay so when he comes through, he can stop and eat. She mentions that several times. Then it says that Elisha, he went by and he stopped and ate there often. And then one day, he and his servant are talking and they're like, man, what can we do for this lady? And so he ends up prophesying to her that because she didn't have any children and her husband was old, and he ends up prophesying to her that next year this time you're going to have a son. And she tells him, man, don't mess with me. <laughs> don't trick me. Don't lie to me, right? And um, we know the story. The next year that time she had a son. So now we're going to begin reading in verse 18 of chapter 4 about this son. The child grew and on one day went out to his father and the harvesters. Now he's still a very young child, a small child. I don't know, maybe he's three or four. He's old enough to go out there with his dad and the harvesters. And in verse 19, suddenly he complained to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. So he picked him up. So he must be a small child. So he picked him up and took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until noon and then died. So here, if you're a mother or if you know a mother or if you've had a mother, you can picture this scene. That little child goes out into the field, gets carried back into the house. Last time you saw him leave the house, he was in, all excited about spending the day with daddy out in the field, right? And now... The help brings him back to the house and he's complaining about his head and, and he's in pain. And So you sit down and you hold him and instead of getting better and things getting better, he just gets worse and dies. Imagine the helplessness that this mama feels right now. Unable to do anything for the child. I don't know, maybe he had a heat stroke and it got too hot. Something happened. And unable to help the child. And, and now it looks like it is out of her hands completely. It's done. It's over. It's finished. There's no going back. Dead people don't come back to life. Is what people would have you believe. But I know a guy. Not just a guy. But my brother. He came back to life. Did I ever tell you that story? I have a brother. He was resurrected. His name is Jesus. So this mama recognizes that the child has died. Verse 21, Then she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in, and left. This speaks to some expectation that she has. This was the closest point of contact that she had to the man of God for immediately right now was his bed. I'll go lay him on his bed. And what she does next is going to be a lesson for you and I. She summoned her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and then come back. Now, if ever there was a time for her to communicate with her husband and tell her husband what's going on, it would be right now. She's talking to him. And she, she calls for him and she says, hey, Hurry, send the help around with the car. I'm in a hurry. I want to go see the man of God. I'll come right back. And he goes, well, why? It's not Sunday or special service or anything. Why? What's the next verse say? He, in his words. 
He said, but he said, why go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she replied, everything is all right. The word here is actually shalom. And in, in their language, it, it's said twice, shalom, shalom. And it means peace in every sphere, every realm. It means peace and prosperity and well-being and protection. And it just, peace. And she's saying, it is well. She's saying, Peace. Everything is at peace. This is her declaration. She's not talking the problem to, to him. She's not exalting the problem. What's the problem? Dead child. She's refusing to even say it and acknowledge it to her husband. So the hired help comes in. What happened? Or maybe as a slave, a servant. Then she saddled the donkey, gassed up the car, said to her servant, Hurry! Step on it! Don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his attendant Gehazi, so he recognized her apparently at quite a distance, he said, Look, there, there's the Shumanite woman. Run out to meet her and ask, are you all right? The word here is shalom. Are you shalom? Is your husband shalom? Are, are you at peace? Is your husband at peace? Is your child at peace? Is what he tells the servant to ask her. And she answered, peace. Everything is at peace. Everything is well. Now, is she a liar because there's a dead child at home. Or is she simply speaking in faith? With a confident expectation that it is well. That it's not over. That this is not the end of the story. This is merely a bump in the road. And I need to see the man of God about it. When she came up to the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away. See, he's acting like security here. He's like, hey, hey, what's going on here? He's going to push her back and be his bodyguard. Push her away. But the man of God said, no, leave her alone. She's, she's in severe anguish and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me. What comes next? Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, do not deceive me? And apparently that's all she said to him. And he had a knowing that something's wrong with the son. And so he has an idea. So Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your mantle, that means put on your track shoes, tuck your mantle under your belt, take my staff with you and go. See, my staff means authority. My staff is in my name. People recognize this. Take my staff with you and go, and if you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him, and if, if a man greets you, don't answer him. Man, this goes completely against all societal norms of that time. Their greetings and their culture were a very warm culture. And you stood and you talked and you greeted each other. And man, I don't care if someone talks to you or greets you, don't even pay attention to him. You go until you get there. And once you get there, put the staff on the boy's face. In verse 30, the boy's mother said to Elisha, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them. See, he had his track shoes on. He's, he's hoofing it. 
and placed the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or sign of life. So he went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy didn't wake up. Wow. Put yourself in mama's shoes right now. I came to the man of God. The man of God, he sent his magical staff to go lay on that boy's face. Now I know that she knew it wasn't magic, yet that's where all the stories of wands and everything come from is because think of Moses' staff, the different times staffs were used in the Bible and people saw the power of God manifest when a staff. So then, of course, the devil, he would try to use those kind of tricks too. Use a stick and do things with it. But she watches the servant run with the staff and now the servant comes back and says he didn't wake up, it didn't work. Maybe it's time we go tell the husband the child's dead. Maybe it's time we call it a day and make funeral arrangements. Maybe it's time I go weep and gnash my teeth and give up. She didn't say that, did she? She was sticking to her confession. She's sticking to the good confession she has made. What was the good confession she has made? It is well. Everything is at peace. I am at peace. Everything's at peace. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. I don't know, maybe this is the first that Elijah realizes that he's dead. So he went in and closed the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Prayed to the Lord. This word prayed, the first definition of it means judged. Judged, decided, interceded. Then he went up and lay on the boy. He put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. I believe he did this in faith. I believe that he was obeying just an unction that he had on the inside. Elisha got up and went into the house and paced back and forth. Then he went up and bent down over him again and the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, Call the Shumanite woman. He called her and she came. Then Elisha said, Pick up your son. Take up your son. Because all was well. Shalom. Just as she had said. Just as she had said. Can you imagine being her husband coming in at the end of the day? So, honey, how are you? How was your day? Why did you run off in the car so fast? Where would you go? Why do you have to go see the man of God? I mean, remember, he knew that he sent the child in hurting. Now suddenly she wants to go see the man of God. Whatever, whatever happened to little Johnny? Because Johnny met him at the door, see, when he came in, he was all happy to see him. Wow, you're doing a lot better. Yeah, Dad, I died. Yeah, right. So what happened, honey? Yeah, he died. He did what? You didn't tell me? No, because it was all, it was okay. It was okay. I knew. I knew that he was gone. Everything was well. Everything was at peace. 
Ah, the coronavirus, the pandemic. No, it's well. Everything is at peace. I don't know. I just got this horrible report from the doctor. It is well. I don't know. We just got an eviction notice. It is well. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Look at another example, case study. A famous one. David and Goliath. And what you, remember, we're talking about how to win any of these battles you come up against. How do I win? You believe the promises. You believe the covenant God has established for you. And from that covenant, you speak and you act. And your faith is shown by your actions. Peter's faith was revealed as he walked on the water. The doubt was too as he began to swim. <laughs> right? But his faith is, was you're able to see faith. It takes action. There's an expectation in it. 1 Samuel 17. Let's just begin reading in verse 1. The Philistines gathered their forces. Well, what I was saying, remember, what we're looking for in this story is how did David win? How did, how did the victory come? How did he overcome? He believed, he spoke, and he took action. So the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soka in Judah and camped between Soko and Azka in Ephesus, Ephesus, I don't know, Damon, someplace. Okay? Between someplace and someplace at that place. That's where it was. <laughs> Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. Man, they've got everything there ready for battle. All the tools, all the weapons. Everyone's been trained. Everyone's ready for it. Alright? The Philistines were... Remember, they have the promises of God of victory. They have a covenant of God that goes before them. They have God on their side. Jehovah on their side. And so they're out there. They're ready. Verse 3, the Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Let's pray. Father, I ask You to reveal. Put us in the story today, Father. Open up our understanding to what was taking place here and, and the things they may have been facing and the fears they may have faced and, and the, the faith that welled up in David. Father, give us understanding of this situation so that we might walk in this way too in victory. I thank you for it in Jesus' name and it's going to be just like that. So the Philistines in verse 3 are standing on a hill and the Israelites are standing on the other hill and there's this ravine between them. So they're both lined up ready to go. And then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He's nine feet nine inches tall. This is a big guy. Nine and a half feet tall. No, nine feet nine inches it says. That's getting close to ten feet. Those of you that like to play basketball, that, that rim is supposed to be at ten feet. 
So just below that rim is how tall this guy was. You know, I was measuring out here the flag earlier, this, this flag here. This is like nine feet tall. So almost a foot past the bottom of this flag is how tall this guy is. I mean, like he's, he's this much past that flag, you know. This guy's reach, man, he can reach me long before I'm within reach of him for me. This guy here, I mean, he could punt me like a football before I even get close enough to touch him. It talks about his armor and his spear. I mean, the guy's carrying a spear that is the size of a weaver's beam, and that was like two and a half inches in diameter. I mean, this is a pole. And it's probably 12, 15 foot tall. They normally had spears that were taller than themselves. And so, about the time I'm here, he can reach me with this spear. So there's just a lot of problems. It's not a fair fight for anybody in the camp. Because nobody's that size except him. What does it say here? It says that he was nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet, bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. 125 pounds was his armor. I mean, imagine if he walked up and said, here, hold my coat. <laughs> wow, how do you fight in that? 125 pounds to be athletic and nimble. If we keep reading in the story, it says that he was trained since he was a youth as a fighter. This is a trained fighter. And apparently he hadn't lost a fight yet. Because he's still alive. So he knows what it is to win. He knows what it is to fight. He has armor on that's so thick and heavy that a normal spear and arrow isn't even going to penetrate it. He's got it on his legs, his shins. He's got it on his back. He has, let's just keep reading here, 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of the spear weighed 15 pounds. 15 pounds on the end of a 15 foot spear. Man, if this thing hits you, imagine him swinging this thing around like you would an ordinary spear. You know, fast, quick. It's just not a fair fight. I mean, David, he needs like uh, 50 cal. <laughs> you know, something from a distance that he can make a difference, right? <laughs> Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. Well, that's a pretty safe declaration from him, isn't it? Hey, no one have a chance against him. They didn't have the weapons that we have nowadays. I mean, everything they had was, the worst they had was bow and arrow. And an arrow isn't going to do anything against that armor. Verse 10, Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage. Hmm. They had gathered expectantly. And they had courage. And they were lined up in battle. No more. 
They lost their courage and were terrified. Do you know why they were afraid? Because they compared their problem, their giant, with themselves. They compared, compared the size of their problem with their own ability. And they went, whoo, all the things I just described, no, nah, there's no way. I mean, five of us could go out there and it's not going to help. Let alone one of us. We can't do it. So they're afraid. Verse 12, now it's going to jump back in the story and give us a little bit of backstory. Now David was the son of Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shema, the third, or Shama, the third. And David was the youngest. Now, if we would have read the previous chapter, we would have already seen that David had already been anointed as king. You know, he was just a youth. And all of that had already happened. <clears throat> the three oldest had followed Saul. But David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Now he had been playing some music for, for King Saul. In the previous chapter you would find that if you'd read that. That's why it says he was going back and forth. Verse 16. Every morning and evening for 40 days the Philistine. Every morning, every evening. Look at that. For 40 days. So 80 times this guy has come out. And taunted them. Come on, when are you guys going to send me a man? Are you all children? I mean, as we keep reading, you'll see that he cursed them. He called them names. He defied their God. He probably said things about their relatives and their mama and about them. I mean, he cussed them. He tried to taunt them so they would fight. He tried to get them irritated enough that someone would step up and say, fine, I'll take him. How dare you talk about my mom that way. But everyone was afraid. See, he was trying to play to their pride, but it wasn't working. But David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock. So every morning in verse 16 and evening, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also, take these ten portions of cheese to the field commander. I like that. His, dad, his father's a man of honor. He says, check on the welfare of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. So he must have left so early in the morning that he arrived there in the morning still. So he arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Well, they're at least doing that. They're at least trying to stir themselves up. right? They're yelling, they're going out. Shouting and, and they're in battle formation. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, 
came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him and were terrified. So once again, their courage just leaves just like that. They're all terrified because they're looking at how big that problem is in front of them. Verse 25, previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? Must have said this to David as he was arriving, maybe in the outskirts of the camp or something. Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich. See, apparently Saul was tired of this thing going on and being taunted and him ridiculing all of Israel and the king and his army for 40 days. Morning and night, this happening. So Saul begins to put incentive to this thing. Man, if somebody will just go out and face this guy, we'll give you this massive prize, a lot of wealth. You'll be able to marry the king's daughter, right? The pretty girl, the princess. You get the big prize, you get the princess, and your father's household will be free from taxes for the rest of their life. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? And they probably said that to each other as they were sitting around the fire every night. And then someone would say, yeah, but it doesn't do you any good if you're dead. Yeah, that's right. That's true. It doesn't. Plus, if you lose the fight, now we're supposed to serve them. So that alone makes me wonder about Saul. Why is he trying to get someone to go out there? Is he in faith a little bit, maybe? (laughs) That the covenant God that they serve would show up? And so he's just trying to get someone to take action. Someone step up. The king will make the man who kills him very rich, not just a little bit, but very rich, will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. Verse 26. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. Now David, he begins to speak from a belief that he has in his heart. And let's just begin paying attention to the words David says from now on. <coughs> Excuse me. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's not just trying to call him names. Uncircumcised means. Someone without covenant. Someone that doesn't have covenant protection. Someone that doesn't have covenant help from God Almighty. Someone who does not have what they have. Because remember all the way back to Abraham, that's what circumcision meant. It meant God's help. God's prosperity in every realm. God's victory. It was covenant with God. And so, he's saying, who is this Philistine without covenant. See, we have to be careful how we talk about our problems. Some people glorify the problem. Talk up the problem. How insurmountable the problem is. How uncurable this disease is. How unpayable this debt is. Undefeatable the problem is. And they, they, ooh, big problem. 
Ah, big problem. And that's how they talk to each other. And they're playing up the problem. We can't do that. We need to talk down to the problem. We need to talk the problem down. Oh, that thing, that's nothing. That covenant, no covenant problem? That defeatable problem? Oh, that's a curable disease. How dare it defy the covenant that I stand upon? How dare it defy the living God? Verse 27. The, remember, this is how he's talking. The people, so he, he asked, what's going to be done? The people told him about the offer concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. He's being very deliberate in what he's looking at. He's being very deliberate on what he's building on the inside of him. He is looking at the prize. He is looking at the covenant. He is not looking at the problem. What's going to happen, he's asking them, to the guy that does this? To that that no covenant guy? And so they tell him. Hmm, boy. Verse 27, the people told him about the offer, concluding this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28, David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men and became angry with him. Why did you come down here? Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now? protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to the others in front of him and asked about the offer. And those people gave him the same answers before. You know, faith shows up unbelief. And when you suddenly get into faith, and the people around you that are pretending to be in faith, but actually aren't, and aren't putting action to their faith, it reveals that. And so pride is coming into play here on Big Brother. And my little pepsqueak of a brother's going to come show me up like this? Come on. You... So he begins to talk down to him. Don't be surprised when people close to you and around you and people who have influence in your life begin to talk down to your faith. Try to discourage you. And don't take you serious. And don't believe in you when you stand in faith. And some... Don't be surprised at that. But do what David did and don't get hung up on it either. You don't have to get into strife. You don't have to fight your brother. Do like David and just turn around and go to someone else. What's going to happen to the person that does this? Oh, man. Oh, that prize. Oh, yeah. Oh, and her. That girl. Yeah, I've seen her. And no taxes? Man, with the tax rate in our country right now, that's great. That's great. Let's go over here and ask these people. Did, Did you hear about the prize? What was the prize? And they tell them the same thing. He's building desire. He is building on the inside of him what he wants. You know, when I'm sitting in a restaurant and I want to, I'm thinking about dessert, I ask to see a menu. Because I want to build desire. I'm pretty sure I want a dessert, but I'd like to know what they have. What is it they have I can't live without? Depending on the place you're in, maybe it's like, you know, Linden Diner. I might get up and walk to the glass cabinet where they've got all the desserts and build desire that way, you know. Look at them. Wow, that one looks really good. 
This one here looks good to me. Yeah, but this one here, let's look at this one a little more. See, what you're looking at is building desire. Man, I can begin to taste that, that dessert I'm looking at. So now I order the dessert and have the dessert. See, your mind works in pictures. By the way, speaking of sweet things, someone put a sweet, some sweet treats in the green room this morning. So whoever that was, thank you. I didn't have any yet, but I will after the service, so don't take them away. I've already built desire. I've looked at them. Now I want to have them. So, your mind works in pictures. If there was a six foot tall pink bunny rabbit, his ears stretched from here up to here, six foot tall pink bunny rabbit standing, right now you guys are picturing a a six foot tall pink bunny rabbit because your mind works in pictures. So what you look at, you can be deliberate in building with inside of you a picture because it has been proven that you will move in the direction of the dominant pictures of your mind. Because what you see on the inside, you will begin to take action to make it come to pass. And the first action you're going to take is you begin to say it. You begin to speak the vision you have on the inside. And then you begin to put action toward making that vision come to pass. And that's what's happening here. He's just building on the inside a picture of the prize, not the giant. So, verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. And David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Don't pay attention to this problem. Look, I'll go do it. I'll go deal with it. But Saul replied, here it comes again, more people discouraging him. I mean, this is as high in the land as you can get. Most authoritative person in the land. <laughs> you can't do it. You, you can't fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. He's been trained since. He's been fighting since he's young. And, and you're just, you know, I don't know, an adolescent, 14, 15. You're just young. You can't do this. David answered Saul, says, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its beard and strike it down and kill it. Most people would have just let that lamb go. It was not worth my life. It's just one lamb. Not him. He went after him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, this Philistine without covenant, will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Notice where he's giving the credit. He knows where the victory came from. It wasn't because he was so strong or agile or anything like that. He just says, it's the Lord. That's where the grace is coming from. He's speaking in faith. And look at this. Faith is contagious. Saul said to David, go. Lord be with you. So now Saul went from saying, you can't do it to, yep, you can do it. Go. He got into faith with him. And then Saul had his own military clothes put on David and He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. And David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he had not proved to them. 
said, I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I have not tested them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff, that trusted staff, man, the one that he tends the sheep with, the stick he's used to carrying. I once heard someone else say, don't fight, don't try to stand in in someone else's grace. Stand in the one the Lord has given to you. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones. The perfect caliber. Five smooth stones from the wadi, that's a brook, and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The giant probably didn't see that sling. You see him come walking up with a stick. The Philistine came closer and closer to David, and he's probably looking around. Like, Who's this guy that's coming to fight me? I heard someone's coming. Where is he? It's a little kid over here with a stick. Where's the guy? Where's the warrior? And he even has this shield bearer going in front of him, so you're not even going to be able to get close to him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth. Ruddy and handsome. It means red. He's probably redneck. He's tanned. He's used to being out with the sheep. Yeah, he's, he's red and handsome. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come out against me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Now what happens when some heathen person, an unsubmitted mouth, speaks against you, the one who is submitted to the Lord? You've got the power of life and death in your mouth. They also have the power of death in their mouth, and he's speaking death over you, but it holds no comparison to what's in your mouth. Because when you speak the Lord's words, they win. So David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied Him. See, he's very clear on where his point of victory is. He's not making this about him. He's not making this about all the bears and lions he's killed. Oh, he's using his experience all right. And he used his experience to help convince Saul that no, God's going to be with me just like he was for them. But it's to, to, the, to the problem. He is telling them, you're nothing against the one who brings victory. Verse 46, today, not tomorrow, not some far off time in the future. Let's not. He didn't go back to the army and say, man, we, let's all pray. Let's all pray that the Lord do something. I mean, most of the Word of Faith camp, come on, would have stood back in the army and just spoke to the problem. And then they'd have wondered, why is nothing happening? We've been speaking and speaking and speaking. We've even been quoting the covenant from the law. Nothing's been happening. Because that's not all. That's only part. Believe, speak, take action. If you're going to be in faith, there is a corresponding action required from you. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, 
I'll strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword, not by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will, He will, not maybe, not perhaps, not I hope, He will hand you over to us. And when the Philistines started to move, started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, he took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David hadn't brought any knives or nothing along to the fight. Just the stone and the staff and the sling. He doesn't need a knife, see? You'll see why. Verse 50, David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they ran. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. And then they came back and plundered the camps. And you can read the story later on, on what happened next. But David believed. David spoke. And David stepped up and took action. So what is it today that you're facing? You can stand with me. We need to close and dismiss. What is it today that you are believing God for? What is the giant today that's in front of you that is no match for the covenant that you have? What is the non-covenant problem that is facing the covenant you who serves the God of the living armies? Speak in that way to the problem. Take action. Step out in faith. Not trying to prove the Lord but because you believe the victory. David didn't go, on, go out to try to get God to do something. He went because he knew God would do something. If he'd have went out there hoping that God's going to do something, the battle would have ended differently. But he went out in full confidence that this is what the Lord's going to do and I get to be a part of it. Father, I thank You for Your truth this morning, for Your spirit of faith that You've put on the inside of each one of us. And Father, I just ask for You to awaken us to, to Your spirit on the inside. Awaken us to the faith You planted at, in us at our new birth. Father, I ask You to stir up within us a remembrance of Your covenant, a remembrance of Your promise, a remembrance of the victory that You've already established for us. Father, show us the corresponding action that we need to take for the battles we face today. For the corresponding action, we need the victorious action that we need to take, Father, to walk in victory, to be an overcomer, to win, and to establish Your glory in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our situations that we face. I thank You for this. I thank You for giving us the victory. In the name of Jesus, and Amen. Good morning, everyone.
Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're so happy that you're all here today. Family, the family of God. Isn't that beautiful just to know you're in the family of God, born again of the Lord. Psalms 149 says, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. We should rejoice in God because he made us. Amen. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Are you joyful this morning? Glory to God. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him in the timber. That's that's the cymbals and the harps. There you go. Musical instruments. Let the saints be joyful in glory and let them sing aloud. Sing aloud. Glory to God. You got the license to sing aloud this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Praise the Lord for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpets. Praise him with the, with the cymbal and the dance. Praise him. Praise The whole psalm is all about praising the Lord. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And as a child of God, he does not need your praise. You need to praise him. Because it's a spiritual force that shuts down the enemy in your life. Amen. And gives glory to God. Hallelujah. So let's all stand up together as a family of God. And let's from our heart praise and worship our Lord. Amen. Okay. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Glory to God. The freedom of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, it goes deep. It's so free. Jesus set us free in all areas of our life, spirit, soul, and body. We are free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's lift our hands and just thank Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are free. We are free. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We're so blessed. I'd like to invite those who are going to City Gate to come on up right now. We're going to go forth under the anointing of the Lord to minister. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. As many of you know, um, we send out a teams to City Gate in Lancaster and Columbia uh, once a month to minister to the homeless and those that are in need. And so they bring food, they bring uh, prayer, they bring the Word, they bring the Spirit of Christ into those places. And so that's where this team, uh, the Lancaster team will leave right away, the Columbia team will uh, go at the end of the service. And if you would like to be a part of this team, 
you're welcome to sign up for that back in the lobby. There's sign up for that. And uh, Karen Burroughs leads the team. And so if you have questions, talk to her. Talk to one of the people that are up here. Ask them about um, what the Lord does there. So if you would, just stretch out your hands to the Lord and let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you're faithful. And Father, I just ask you today that you touch and bring it, that your anointing be strong upon each person here as they go to minister today. Father, that freedom is established everywhere they go. That they'll be bold to open up their, their mouth and proclaim your, your gospel, your good news. And Lord, I ask that you would stretch forth your hand and perform signs and wonders. Confirm your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you meet all their needs. And that you go before them and prepare the hearts of those that are, are at the threshold of peace. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. And amen. All right, go in victory. Well, good morning and welcome to Church of the Word International. Good to see each of your smiling faces this morning. Well, let's prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this morning. You know, when Abraham tithed, I know everybody knows this story, but I'm going to reference it. When Abraham tithed, God's response to his tithing was covenant. And it was a good covenant. It was one of blessing, protection, prosperity. And I want to read to you a verse out of Psalms 111, verse 5. It says, He provides food for those who fear Him. And He remembers His covenant forever. Forever. He's good for it. Has He not said it? Will He not do it? So we have a covenant. The tither has a covenant. One of protection. One of blessing. Provision. Let me read another uh, scripture in Psalms 84, 11 and 12. says, For the Lord is a sun and shield. Can you say source, your source, and your protection? A sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's not withholding anything from us. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Well, one of the ways that we demonstrate that we fear the Lord, that we trust the Lord, that we are relying on him and we're making him a provider is tithing. And he has covenanted with us to be our protection, to be our provider, and he's good for it. I just got that in, in worship on the inside. He's good for it. You can rely on him to keep his word. All right, let's take a hold of our tithes, or offerings, and let's pray over that. Father, we're so grateful for you this morning. We're so grateful for your word, that we don't have to bump along through life, but that we have your word and your promise, and we, we thank you for it, that we can trust you. We put our trust in you. We acknowledge you as our provider. We put our trust in you, our completely know that you're going to do what you said you would do. We know that you're watching over your word to perform it, so I ask that every need in this house is met, that you, um, the blessing of the tither is ours this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. And the ushers will pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Also, we recently 
presented to you uh, another mission opportunity. A Ghana trip is coming up in this summer. So we have a couple people from our congregation here planning to go, just wanting to make you all aware that there are people here from the congregation going, and they are doing fundraisers to help in the expenses for that trip. So if you would like to help, there's um, Anastasia and Monica are going. I'm not sure, maybe I'm missing somebody. Of course, Troy's going. So if you'd like to help in any way, you can give through the church or help their fundraiser or however you like. All right, Pastor. Don't we serve a good God? So Jen referenced our home group, our new subject, and you may have already seen it on our Facebook page. And uh, our new home group subject is going to be a series by Brother Keith Moore, and it's called, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? And uh, I asked one person that, and he said, well, probably not, because he'd have on a lot more expensive one. So that question, no matter what you think the answer is to it, is we're going to explore that question and the whys and the hows behind it. And uh, while it seems like an interesting uh, subject matter, it really has to do with money, with covetousness. And, you know, we just finished this series in the, called The Kingdom of God in our home groups. And there's no subject that's spoken about more than finances within the realm of the kingdom. That just comes up again and again and again and again in the kingdom. So we want to get that part of it right. Especially living in a season of prosperity like we live in. In a nation that is a prosperous nation. We have a responsibility on us that some people in third world countries don't have. Just because we have more opportunity. Did you know that with opportunity comes responsibility? And so what are you doing with the opportunity that you have? And so that's what uh, that series is about in bringing, listen, this is what it's always about, is bringing Bible truth to our thinking, to our culture, to our, the way we live our life. And so uh, back at the table, you can sign up, or maybe it's going to be downstairs, downstairs, you can sign up to join one of our home groups. Have you ever obeyed the Lord in something? You know the... I know one of the things I wanted to mention. Welcome home, Terry. And uh, welcome home, Dale. I hope you brought some of that warm sunshine Florida weather with you. It's getting to be that time of the year. Getting closer and closer to warm weather. And extra sunshine. But if you've ever followed the Lord in your life and He's given you direction, you know the prices that can be paid for it. You know the uh, obedience that is required from you, right? And it's a step of faith and, and you, you go with the Lord, you obey Him, and then you uh, expect to see miracles. And Him doing things when you're in the right place at the right time in the right season and uh, my friend Eric, Eric, stand up and uh, everyone embarrass him good and say, hello, Eric. <laughs> Eric uh, has been with me on two trips already, and I trust he's going to go with me some more. And uh, just a great, great traveling, traveling partner. And, and Lord put it on his heart that he should be down here and be a part of this church and a part of the work that's happening here. And 
So uh, today is his first official day of having moved to Lancaster. And uh, he's believing God for a, a house. To, he's looking for an apartment and he's got a new job. He starts tomorrow. And so a lot of new and exciting things, but also a big step. When you are uh, 21 years old and striking out on, on your own with the Lord for the first time, some of you remember that. And uh, so do be praying for him. Debbie, what area are you looking for? He's still trying to figure out what area he's in, you know. <laughs> the uh, job headquarters is in East Earl, right near our house. And um, so somewhere between here and there, I suppose. So welcome, Eric. It's good to have you here. 